Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. A few days ago, we mentioned this story about Prime Minister Trudeau and these allegations that have suddenly popped up again, that he groped a female reporter at an event in BC a number of years ago. Now, this goes back some time for sure, but it was based on an editorial that was written from this small paper in BC that was rediscovered and has come back to light. And again, this goes back before he was Prime Minister, before he got into politics. However, however, why this story has become such a story and why this has now been picked up by CNN and the Independent and McLean's and the Huffington Post and the Daily Mail and the Washington Post and on and on and on is that when you have positioned yourself as the feminist prime minister, when you have kicked several male politicians out of caucus for alleged indiscretions long before any investigation was done and any guilt was actually found, uh, when you've told the CBC that, quote, if allegations surfaced against me in the same state, the same standards would apply and saying things like as a government, we take any allegations of misconduct extremely seriously. And we believe it is important to support women who come forward with allegations. And that is exactly what our government will do. Well, when you say all those things, when you do all those things, you find yourself in an interesting spot when allegations against you come forward. Well, among the other publications, I mentioned a number, and among other publications who are now writing about this and taking a look at this are the Toronto Star. Tim Harper is a national affairs columnist with the Toronto Star. He has a piece written the other day on groping allegation, Trudeau ducks the rules he set. Tim joins us now. Tim, thanks for doing this today. Pleasure, Scott. How are you? I'm well, thank you. And by the way, for those who don't know, Tim is a Scott Park grad and a Hamiltonian as well, so (laughs) we know that makes you extra brilliant. Uh, I, it does, and it always means that I'm happy to talk to Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this this situation, and you know, some people are poo-pooing it, and some people are saying it's not that serious, and on and on. And and certainly, I, I think that there's parts of it where you can make that case. But based on the, um, I don't know what the word is, but how this table has been set by the prime minister on things like this, this puts him in a bit of a pickle, doesn't it? It sure does, and. Uh, <clears throat> You know, there's a lot to unpack on this story. There's, there's a number of different threads, but um, one I want to mention off the top uh, that, that makes this a particularly um, difficult story to, to really get um, a grip on is that the woman involved has made it quite clear to reporters who've contacted her that she has no interest whatsoever in talking about this ever again, and she doesn't want anybody calling her about it again. Uh, that is her absolute right. So there's another layer to this story, another element that is now seems to be coming to the fore, is if the uh, the complainant 18 years ago has no interest in relitigating this, so to speak, uh, then that has to be respected. And that makes it very difficult um, for the media to... Uh, well, I mean, Scott, there's not even a he said, she said. We, we've got, uh, I don't want to talk about it versus... Uh, I don't remember any uh, negative interactions that day. Uh, and it's 18 years old. So it's, and, and obviously it involves the prime minister of the country. It's, it's, a, it's a very, very tough story to unravel. Uh, but to your question, yeah, the prime minister's in a bit of a pickle. He, he took a, a, a question uh, over the weekend on it, but there were no follow-ups. And, and his answer to the question was essentially that he, uh, he remembers the day very well. It was 2000. It was at the... Uh, uh, Kokanee Festival in Creston, BC. This is now called the Kokanee Grope, apparently. And uh, <laughs> he said, he "I'm not laughing it. at it. It's the name." No, no, no. But you know, we've got to we've got to give it a name, don't we? 
so um, he had a good day that day, he says, uh, and, quote, I don't remember any negative interactions that day at all. What does that mean? I don't know what that means. It doesn't mean that uh, nothing happened, let's put it uh, bluntly. And it also raises the question, and this would be the, um, the follow-up that I, I, if he was taken to him, I was there, I would like to ask him. Do you not remember apologizing to the young woman? Because you, you mentioned the editorial uh, in question, which was written by the, uh, the, the complainant, uh, in which she alleges that he actually said to, uh, to her uh, something I'm, I'm uh, paraphrasing now, but uh, I'm sorry if I'd known you were reporting for a national paper, I never would have been so forward. She was uh, working for the Creston uh, BC paper, but she was uh, stringing uh, also, uh, as we say, reporting as well for the Vancouver Sun and the National Post. So um, something happened uh, because he uh, apparently apologized, and he's never denied that there was an apology. So and there's no and to my, best of my knowledge, no one has ever taken issue with the veracity of the piece that was written. There's never been a demand for a retraction or anything that I know of. Not that I'm aware of. Um, so when when this thing resurfaced, nobody has ever actually. Uh, officially disputed the uh, the content in that editorial, including the woman's editor and, and the publisher of the paper, both of whom talked to reporters, um, and, and the one remembered her as being very distressed about the incident. So, you know, something happened. Um, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's tough to, to move forward when one of the parties doesn't want to talk and the other claims that he can't remember any negative interactions, but... Um, something happened, and uh, as you pointed out, and you're very good, Tracy, uh, at the top, that this is a prime minister who has set very tough rules when it comes to behavior like this, one of which is his uh, admonishment to us all that in cases like this, the default position is that the complainant uh, must be believed. So he's told me that she must be believed, so I'll take him at his word. Um, and uh, so having said that, uh, what do we do with it? Uh, uh, and I'm not sure where we go with this at this point. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Chatting about the Kokanee Grope, as they're calling it now, the uh, the Prime Minister has finds himself in a bit of a spot here because allegations that he groped a female reporter a number of years ago have resurfaced. And again, for some people, this could be something you would just say, ah, don't worry, it happened a long time ago, whatever. Uh, but this is the Prime Minister who has made it very clear, as my guest Tim Harper from the, Nas- uh, from the uh, Toronto Star, National Affairs columnist for the Toronto Star, has said, in a default position, when a woman makes an allegation, we must believe them. Tough spot now for our Prime Minister when it is him. And Tim, again, we go back to the statement that he made yesterday, which follows very, very closely, almost verbatim to a statement his office, the Prime Minister's office, gave out a few days ago about that negative interactions thing. Um, If it didn't happen, if nothing happened, if there's nothing to this, why would he just not say it never happened? Well, because that just would uh, take him down a, a path that he doesn't want to go, because then if it never happened, uh, why did he not object to, uh, well, so he, did he not apologize? Uh, did he not ask for a retraction at the time? Why was it left to stand for 18 years if, it, if, if it, he's going to now tell us it never happened? And more uh, more damaging for a Canada's self-styled feminist prime minister is if he wants to get up and say it never happened, he's now calling a woman uh, 
who complained about it in 2000, a liar. So if it did happen, then... I don't then, think he wants to go there now. If it did happen... Why not just say sorry? I was, I was drunk, it was a bad time, I made a mistake, and it was nothing real serious, but boy, I'm really, really sorry. Boy, you know, if he had done that a couple of weeks ago, we wouldn't be on the phone right now. But now that ship has sailed because he can't go back and say, um, you know, uh, you know, I, I'm as you say, I'm sorry. I was 28. There were a lot of beers, and I, I did something I shouldn't have. I'm, I never done it since, and I know the error of my ways. Blah 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 blah. He can't because he's told us now on the record, um, not just his office, that uh, he cannot remember any negative interactions. So. He's got to uh, uh, sort of go to ground and hope that this this goes away, and he's aided and abetted by the fact that the woman doesn't want to talk. However, it's not going away. Um, it's uh, you you laid out all the the media outlets that are, are now going with it because as soon as you have video of him uh, responding to that question, then it, you know it, it just gives the story legs. And sooner or later, he was going to have to respond to it. So they have a problem on their hands. They. they the, Lib- the, the Liberals have a problem on their hands. The Prime Minister has a problem on his hands. He's got um, a couple of aces to play, uh, if, and I don't mean to uh, you know, reduce this whole matter to a, a, a political chess game here, uh, and I certainly respect what happened uh, to the woman. But it's a summer. Uh, things have a, have a, a political stories have a habit of sort of drifting with the, uh, the smoke from the barbecue or the, the breeze <laughs> from the lake and... All of a sudden, they're gone. Um, and uh, as I say, the woman's not talking. So right now, uh, and she's been quite adamant, the story doesn't advance. So I guess you try to you try to play out the clock. Uh, but what, what's happening is it, it, it's being aided and abetted by some senior conservative uh, women on, on social media, without a doubt. Um, and and it and it's worked. And there's also been this unspoken and sometimes spoken uh, uh, allegation that the media is, is so liberal-friendly that it's trying to protect the Prime Minister in this. Um, I don't know any journalist who uh, is trying to protect the Prime Minister in this, but you uh, you have to allow the media to try to do its due diligence on an 18-year-old story. Mm. Um, otherwise, then we just go off half-cocked based on something that, that you know, was reprinted in Frank Magazine or it's been on Twitter. You have to do proper reporting on this, and that took time. You had to track down a woman. You had to try to get her to talk. You had to back off when she didn't want to talk, and then you had to get the prime minister in a position where he's facing cameras uh, and a microphone. Um, so, you know, it, un- it unfolded in, in rather slow motion compared to other allegations like this, but it, every case is different, Scott, and this one has got a whole bunch of... Um, um, different tentacles to it than, than many of these Me Too type uh, stories that have uh, been happening over the past number of months. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure to be honest, and I think you would agree, I'm not sure it's helping him that his denial is sounding rather Clinton-esque, where you start getting into the parsing of what is yeah. is and all these, you know, and I, I, I think it. people are looking at this saying, if he didn't do anything, and if, it, if he truly in his mind doesn't remember anything, why does it sound like you've lawyered up and got all your spin doctors to try and protect you here. And, and I would have to believe that their absolute fear is that this woman decides that she's going to change her mind and decide to speak. If he denies it and now she feels like she's being distrusted, maybe she comes forward and actually says, well, let me talk about it after all. That's why you can't, I, I, we go back to why doesn't he just deny it? You can't, because if there's anything that's likely to get this woman to change her mind, it would be having the prime minister, uh, um, call you a liar. Like 
you know, uh, there, it, it's inconceivable to me. I do not know. Uh, I wasn't there, uh, but it's inconceivable to me that a woman would make that kind of allegation, uh, including a, a, an apology in quotes uh, from Justin Trudeau and put it to print if it didn't happen. Um, and, and let's not forget, he may have been 28. Uh, he wasn't in politics. But he had but the he last was, name Trudeau. People yeah, knew him. Exactly. He was still the son of the prime minister. There's, there's always a power dynamic involved there. He was the celebrity of the festival. Yeah. Um, and you make this up, and it's totally without any merit, and you're writing now for the paper, I don't care how small the paper, uh, you're asking for trouble. If it, yeah, if it has nothing, if there's no nothing to it at all, if you just make I, this I, up I, to I get your attention. Think, I cannot think of a single reason why this woman would want to make that up and put it in print and make this allegation against uh, this guy because, I mean, that's that's a career... Uh, your career's over. <laughs> yeah, if you're, you're, that's not you're, a good thing to... No. Not a good so, place to be. Tim, well, I, well, can't think of, I can't think of a single reason why she would put that to print unless she honestly believes something happened. We, uh, I wish we could keep talking about this. We are out of time, but I really, really appreciate the time. Uh, Tim Harper from the Toronto Star. You can read him, National Affairs Columnist. On groping allegation, Trudeau ducks the rules he set. You can find his column online. It's a good read. Thanks for the time, Tim. Love chatting, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. While you may be fatigued with election stuff, we just went through an election, a rather nasty one at times, you'd probably remember that in October, October 22nd, in fact, we are going to have another election, a municipal election. And the names are beginning to trickle in of those who are going to be running for this. A number of people have put their name up for council already, some incumbents, some new, and six people have put their name up to run for mayor. Tomorrow, that number is going to jump up to seven because... Tomorrow morning, at least I believe it's going to happen tomorrow morning, a column by Andrew Dreschel that just went up online tells me, and we'll find out in just a second. Uh, tomorrow morning, Vito Scro is going to be putting his name forward. And as Andrew points out, uh, with Vito's track record and his fundraising experience and his background in politics, he is probably the first legitimate threat, the first legitimate opponent for Mayor Fred Eisenberger. Vito Scro joins me on the line now. Vito, how are you tonight? Oh, pretty good, Scott. How are you? Excellent. So are we right? Is there, Are the papers going in tomorrow? Is this what's happening? They are. Well, congratulations on oh, that. Thank you very much. I, I probably should get my head examined. I was going to say, I think congratulations <laughs> is the right <laughs> phrase. Uh, we'll see a few months from now how your exactly. whether congratulation is still the right term. What has prompted you to do this? Because it is a huge undertaking, not just to run, but if you win, to be the mayor of a city this size. What made you do it? Well, uh, over the last 30, 40 years, I've been involved on the organizing side, and I've told so many people, you've got to do it for your community. Uh, uh, it's time to give back, and rightfully so. A few people said to me, <laughs> to me, it, now it's your turn, and I've run out of reasons why not to. It's, it's something I thought I might always do. I mean, I've never really wanted to run, bef- except in the last year or so. Um, a few issues came up where I thought, you know what, I really I, I want to get the message out of what I think should happen. So this is the perfect time for me. I mean, I'm getting towards the end of my career. I was planning on retiring soon. Um, there was really, I was running out of reasons to run, uh, not to run, sorry. Um, it's the perfect time for me. A lot of people end up deciding they're finally going to do this, and you just explained part of it, but a lot of people, the final straw, whatever you want to call it, is a level of frustration that they see things that they don't agree with or they want things done differently. Does that apply here? Uh, yes. That's actually the first thing that got, got me started. Um, I was on the board of Infrastructure Ontario. 
something, a, a position that I thoroughly love was probably one of the best business experiences of my life. And I don't know if a lot of people know, they do a lot of the procurement for not now, around here. They know that just for the stadium, unfortunately, but they, they do all the hospitals, roads, railroads, everything. They're, they do the procurement or they're in the process of doing the procurement for LRT, uh, not just for Hamilton, but the other LRTs. And what I saw there over the last year was what really prompted me to think, you know, I, I can't stand for this anymore. I've got to just get out what really is going on and what I think would be beneficial to the city of Hamilton. So to me, that was probably the final straw. The LRT is the driving force. I mean, it is for a lot of people. It's the discussion it point for this municipal election. That's, that is the driving force for you? It, it is. It is. I mean, it's not the only thing. Obviously, there's a lot of other things I'd like to put forward and see if we can implement that I think are very important to the well-being of the city. But that was the main issue. Would it be a fair assumption then that if uh, Mayor Eisenberger is a staunch proponent of the LRT, as we well know, and as he has explained very clearly many, many, many times, that if you're getting into this and you are talking about frustration, that you would be an opponent of the LRT? I think it's the worst thing that the city could ever do is to take that money and use it for LRT, straight out. In, in favor of what? Would you? Oh, first of all, before we get to that, do you believe, because this has been part of the big debate, do you believe, Doug Ford, that a billion dollars actually exists that we could apply elsewhere? Well, it's the same money for either. See, um, it's come out saying, well, there is no money for other things. Under the DEFOM method, which is the method used to procure this project, the, the money has to be there up to 85% of the project over the five years to pay the consortium. So the money is there for no matter which way you do it. The only difference is the treatment under accounting terms. And I'm getting into accounting, and I'm going to put everybody to sleep in two minutes. <laughs> but that was the reason I found out, or the biggest reason, that the province chose LRT. LRT is a provincial asset, which means it's not expensing one year. And, you know, the province's deficit will be lowered when you take it over 40 years. I know I'm getting into accounting terms, and I apologize. When you give money to a city for buses, they don't own the buses. The city does. They have to take that hit all in one year, and your deficit gets bigger. Bottom line is they chose this, in my opinion, for the accounting treatment instead of the actual transit need. Because I I couldn't understand why um, we were choosing this for Hamilton. Hamilton's transit is not in good shape. There's a lot of parts of the city that don't have transit whatsoever. We have a big problem moving people north-south instead of east-west. It takes sometimes hour, hour and a half to go from the East Mountain to McMaster, which is insane. With this money, we can come up with, uh, uh, just follow the city's own blast network with a rapid bus component. And we could still have money left over to do other infrastructure needs. It's a no-brainer to me. Our, our system is such poor shape. This could give us a first-class system. So as you've been hearing the discussion then going on for months now, uh, is the, has your view ever changed or has it just been getting more and more refined that this is a mistake? Uh, no, it's, it's been more refined. It's been more truthful. It's, it, I, I'm now more convinced than ever that it is a mistake. Our transit riderships are dropping. There's been, it's been neglected for so long, the HSR. It needs something to get to a pro, just to a half-decent level. This will do it. We can, we can have rapid bus down Highway 20, Rolling Road, all the way from Ancaster to Stony Creek, even uh, possibly getting out to Waterdown. Why would we not do that? I want to get people on transit. I would love to get people on transit. LRT won't do any of that. How do you get people from Stony Creek, the mountain, to this LRT line? I th- and think of it. It's going to be five to seven years of complete chaos downtown. I live downtown. 
it's very fragile, but it's on the upswing. This could, could turn it back to what it was before. I, I can't just sit back and let that happen. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Chatting with Vito Scroll, who tomorrow will put in his papers to run for mayor of the city of Hamilton. Andrew Dreschel has a terrific column, just went up online now. You'll see it in the paper tomorrow. You can see it at thespec.com right now. And part of the reason we're talking to Vito, one of the reasons, is because, as Andrew points out, there are a number of people who are running, but not a lot of candidates who have the organizational or the background in politics that they could be a serious contender for Mayor Fred Eisenberger. Uh, Vito, you do, and this I find very interesting because your, your uh, what's the right word, disdain, maybe that's too strong, but your dislike for the LRT, um, the LRT has been a Kathleen Wynne, it's been a liberal uh, thing, it's been a liberal idea. You have helped with liberals, now I know it's federally, but you've been involved with liberal campaigns before. Is there any conflict there for you? Not at all. Uh, the city of Hamilton, which is my home, has been and will always come first. Um, I, I am a liberal. I mean, I can't deny it. It's it's a lot of people people know me as that. But I did something similar last summer when the federal liberals came out with what, in my opinion, was a, a, a tax change that was going to kill small business. I rallied as many people as I could and basically went against my own party. If uh, in politics you can't agree with everything if you're joining a party because that's almost impossible. But certain things are 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 game breakers for me. And this is going to harm our city, in my opinion. I mean, if, if I didn't think it would, I would love it. I would, uh, it would make perfect sense. I would be with my party and away we go. But no one was able to explain to me what the true benefits are. Yeah, there's always a generic study of this city and that city. And then you can always find another city that didn't go that route and it worked great too. So I truly believe this is an opportunity that we can really get things fixed in terms of our transit and take a big chunk out of our infrastructure deficit. We've got a, a deficit of billions of dollars of roads, sewers, you name it. If you drive down Upper James, there's the, the, the containment of the escarpment. It's dangling. You can't even use one lane. It's been doing that for years. No one's fixed it. Now, I know money is, is scarce, and it is. But when someone says there's a, an opportunity for hundreds of millions of dollars to fix all these things, You've got to take it. How do I look somebody in the eye who lives on Kenilworth and King and their basement floods every time it rains? And now we might have an opportunity to fix things like that. Do you expect that this will be the uh, issue for this election? That reg- There will be other things, of course, but is the LRT and this billion dollars, is this what this municipal election is going to come down to in Hamilton? Well, here's, here's what I'm hoping. I'd like to get out a message of, of what I believe is the truth. And get all the, all the information out. If people decide that's what they, the route they want to go, I'll have no problem with that. But people saying it's a done deal, it's not. My last board meeting was dealing with the RFP. It's a ways off yet. There might not be a shovel in the ground until 2020. It's a long way off. Then they'll start arguing all the money they spent so far. I've checked through Metrolinks, and anybody can do this, by the way. They, they took costs going back to staff costs at Metrolinks from 2007 and put it in this $80 million dollars. Studies they did decade ago, they're, they're arguing was there. And we were always told if the cost uh, agreement doesn't make sense, well, there's an off-ramp. Well, according to their logic, no, there's not. It could be the worst uh, cost uh, agreement ever. And because $80 million has been spent, we're stuck with it. I don't agree with that. And the money, if there's money for LRT, there's money for other projects. It's just the accounting treatment that's, that's different. 
Do you is this what you would like this election for a mayor to come, to be on? I mean, it, does it does it make does it clarify things in a mayoral race if there is one big issue that people can find one side or the other? That, would that be would that be what you would want that this becomes an issue uh, an election on that issue? Well, I, I think it, I think people should look at. I think is it, this is the big issue. There's no doubt about it. But take a look at other things too. You can't have just one issue. Take a look at the other ideas all candidates have in mind. I'm sure all of them do, and what they want to do and what direction they want to take the city. This is an amazing city. We've just got to get ready for this fantastic future we got ahead of us. Some of us think it should go one way, and others think it should go another way. So just take a look at the whole platform. But yes, LRT will be the big issue. There is going to be, and I don't think you're going to dispute this, uh, in municipal politics, we know very well that name recognition and face recognition is an enormous thing. In, uh, incumbents win all the time because people know their name and know that when they see it on the ballot. How do you overcome that? Because, I mean, you certainly don't have, you've worked a lot in the background with these pol- political campaigns, but not necessarily where you have been front and center. How do you overcome that? Well, it takes organization. It takes money, which is just a fact of life. Um, and you need the right message. Uh, there was an election last week, little known 28 year old person in New York City beat the fourth largest or fourth powerfulest Democrat in a primary race. No one heard of this person at all. And she won by 15 to 18 points. Elections matter. Uh, organization matters. Uh, and message matters. So, yes, incumbency is a fantastic advantage. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but that shouldn't stop anybody if you truly believe it. And again, if we get our message out and the other candidates get their message out and they decide to go another way, I won't have a problem with that. They've gotten uh, a clear choice, and I'll accept whatever the people decide. Vito Scro, uh, you can read about him again. Andrew Dreschel has a piece that just went up about 40, 30, 40 minutes ago uh, at thespec.com. You can read about Vito. His picture is there. I uh, talk about face recognition. Well, there, you can see what he looks like, too. Uh, you can learn more about Vito. <laughs> that, that, might, that might scare voters <laughs> off. <laughs> Listen, I, I, uh, we got you on very short notice. I sincerely appreciate you taking the time today. Thanks for doing this. No problem. Thank you, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Well, we got a lot of stuff to talk about because it is uh, it was a particularly newsworthy weekend in the world of sports, for sure. But let's talk about Tavares for a second because that's what everyone's talking about. And what I found very <laughs> interesting, Don, uh, among other things, there was a lot of interesting parts, and we're not going to go into some of these things because they have been hashed to death. I don't think we can find much new to talk about. Uh, no, I mean, but look, we will. The the. the the talk about whether he should be captain. If I hear one more person talk about who should be the captain, Austin Matthews or John Tavares, like who cares? Uh, and hours have been spent discussing who should be captain. I don't care. I honestly don't care. If they don't care or if they do care, they can sort it out. They know what's going on. I, I don't care. Um, the money, it's a lot of money. But for the Maple Leafs, they've got it. So who cares? It's not my money. It's not my, well, it, it is indirectly. I mean, well, it's not tax dollars. No, but but companies sponsor, yeah. you know, Sportsnet <laughs> buys the rights to hockey, and Sportsnet isn't doing it for free, so they have to get advertising, and yeah. they set the rates to cover those costs, and the advertisers that buy the time aren't doing it for free, so they have to raise their prices to pay for that advertising. And so when you buy a Big Mac, or you buy a pair of shoes, or you buy a T-shirt, or you buy a beer, indirectly you're helping to pay yeah. for Austin Matthews' salary. 
But all that stuff aside. Comtroyce Realty was pretty close to naming rights. Eh? Scotiabank just beat us. Up. Is that right? By uh, They were $800 million, You guys were? $800. <laughs> well, it was very close. Just one word missing. That's all the difference was one word. Uh, that was not Bautista the homer, by the way. Yankees, or Mets are up 2 nothing. Bautista was on base, but uh, he walked. Uh, so the story of, of Tavares, though, which, look, fantastic for Leaf fans. They've waited a long, long time to have a story like this. Well, to, to win a- one. I think that's their first big win ever. Yeah, uh, for a free agent to yeah. come. Uh, if there has been one before, I don't remember it. At least not, well, not one like this. Not well, of this magnitude. No, not of this magnitude, but. What I could not help but think of all weekend as this thing was going on, and it was, again, it was a great story, but the, the, the touching story, we've seen the photo on Twitter and stuff and on social media of John Tavares lying in his Maple Leaf bed sheets as a child, not lately, I trust. <laughs> that, that would be awkward if he was on the island sleeping in Maple Leaf bed sheets as a 25-year-old. And jammies. <laughs> But anyway, we've heard the stories of how he grew up as a Leaf fan. He always wanted to play for the Leafs, dying to be a Leaf. This was his dream to come home. And everyone was saying, oh, what a lovely story. What a wonderful story. Aren't we glad we were able to accommodate him in Toronto? Don, what happens if in two years, Austin Matthews tells the exact same story? It says, I grew up watching the Arizona Coyotes. I've dreamed of playing for the Arizona Coyotes. I've always wanted to dress for the Arizona Coyotes. I am leaving Toronto as a free agent to go to the Arizona Coyotes. Is there going to be one Leaf fan that's going to say, yeah, you know what, that, that's a terrific story. We're really glad you got to live your childhood dream. Or is he going to be a bunch of names that no one can repeat? He'll probably be called uh, by the Leaf fans the same thing Traveris is being called by the Islander fans. Yeah. Right? But, yeah. No, for sure. You're right. When the shoe's on the other foot, they're not going to be... It's not such a sweet story when it's your guy leaving. So, uh, at a bonfire, Saturday night. When was July 1st? Sunday. Sunday. Saturday night. So, our neighbors are over, and my neighbor's telling me that a very good friend of his works at a hospital in Toronto, and John... Tavares' girlfriend just accepted a job there yep. last week. Yep. And he looked at me, he says, that should pretty well decide it. And I looked at him and I said, well, well that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And he said, why? And I said, why would John Tavares' fiance have a job? <laughs> like, well, why is she working? She probably wants to work. I, I don't think she would probably have to work unless they have particularly high cost of living expenses that is more than $11 million a year. But for what, you know, she wants to work. I'm not sure good. another hunter is going to tip the scale. Well, I mean, good for her. Good for yeah. her. That's fantastic. If she Turns out he was right. I thought the story was uh, a little no, hard if to No, if she wants to work, that's that great. I, I applaud that, that she want that. I'm sure that there are plenty of sports spouses, probably male and yep. female spouses, that see the ka-ching, ka-ching and decide that's their life is shopping and spying and... Yep. Whatever else. So I applaud that she would want to do something useful. Good for her. Makes her a good person to want to make a contribution. 100%. Absolutely. That said, I go back to the John Tavares thing. I don't, I don't, well, I don't know what Austin Matthews would do, but I don't think anyone's thinking this is a wonderful story if Austin Matthews walks out the door no, they're later. Not going to. No, they're not, they're not going to find this the same sweetness and light. And 
so for that reason, I mean, I, I do feel badly for the Islanders fans, however few they may be at this point, because they've been so bombarded with badness for so long. I get why he would want to do it. But you know what, Don? I also get to a degree why hockey players don't do this very often. Most hockey players stay with the teams yeah, that draft them. Stamkos did. And Until they're so old and they're basically being kicked out by their old team. Well, it, it's it's an interesting situation, right? Like, I have heard, and you've heard me say several times, when you're not sure why a guy does what he does, it's the money. And if you have to think about it the second time, it's likely the money. And, you know, there are people that said he took a bit of a hometown discount to uh, to play for the Leafs. But I've also heard that he's going to get $42 million of his money over the next 24 months. Mm-hmm. So Signing bonuses yes. to prevent against a lockout. Well, two things I looked at. Uh, one, sure, against a lockout. The other one is if you get $42 million now, and not many teams in the National Hockey League have the, the cash to be able to make an offer like that, right? And you invest it. Yeah, if you do it wisely. Right? I mean, assumably he's not going to... Put it in a daily savings account. <laughs> yeah, put it, throw it in his checking account. But, you know, I mean, if he can get a 5% return, if he's got a good guy, he'll get an 8% return on the $42 million. And I haven't done the math, but it's going to be millions of dollars he'll make off the millions of dollars he's going to get paid. So it's not $11 million. It's going to be far more than $11 million a year. And surely he will get endorsements. Well, the question, but the, the, that's where the Leafs, I thought, got creative. Look, at we have, uh, Scotiabank have a lot of our money, and we'll give it to you now. The Leafs are going to write it off, but we'll give it to you now, and you go make some money on it. You go make yourself. Yeah. No, it, well, it, for, look, for John Tavares, it makes all the sense in the world, because if there is a lockout after next year, you are, or the year after, you're protected. Yeah. Because you've got most of your money up front, so even if even if you're sitting at home, you're still you've still been paid. My point is, he's not going to net no forty two million because I'm, I'm sure that uh, Trudeau and Doug Ford are going to want their cut. But if you just use the premise of the of the forty two million dollars, and he got a ten percent return, it's four million four million dollars a year. Now, if I'm making fifteen million a year, yeah, that's more than you make. Yeah, that's a little more. Uh, not as much as Bill Kelly makes, but you know more than it's I Bill make. Kelly money though. If I am Lou Lamorello, though, so Lou Lamorello leaves the Leafs, he's with the Leafs, he leaves the Leafs to go be the general manager of the New York Islanders, lures the coach who just won the Stanley Cup away from the Washington Capitals, all is hunky-dory in Lou world, and all of a sudden now his franchise player walks out the door, and you're pretty much screwed. I mean, you really are screwed now. If I'm Lou Lamorello... And the Leafs don't sign Austin, sign Austin Matthews before his contract is up and let him become a free agent. Do you do something that NHL general managers never do? And I don't know why they don't, but do you sign, sign an offer sheet to Austin Matthews? Basically what that means is you pay him the max, which the Leafs have a chance to, co- to offer back, to, to match, but that screws up the Leafs big time with their salary cap and will force them to get rid of someone else. Do you do that? Do you try to stick it now to the team that stuck it to you? I, well, um, first of all, I'm not sure Lou's going to be around. I don't know how long he's going to be around, but he's been around a long time. Okay, the next guy in the island. Someone in so the he island. he has, yeah, I don't think so. I think they can blame Traveris more than they can uh, 
the Leafs. He was clearly going somewhere or he would have signed with them. Like he wasn't staying there. So it's hard to blame the team that actually signs him because he clearly he could have had an extra year in his contract. The Islanders were the only ones that could have signed him to an eight-year deal, and they offered him the max for eight years, and he turned it down. So why did he turn it down? Because somebody's given him $42 million in the next 24 months. He's getting more than the max. Do you ever think, uh, I mean, not being funny, I actually, when I heard that he was being, he will receive a check for $15.2 million U.S., the day he signed or the day after, Sunday, Monday, maybe today because banks were closed yesterday. I don't know. But, okay, so let's say by tonight, when he went home tonight, there was $15.2 million U.S. in his bank account. I actually played around with that in my head for a few minutes when I heard that. Honestly, and I thought, because I'll never have that. I thought, you know, if I ever opened my bank account and saw $15.2 million, even if it was because I'd signed, I would be scared to touch it because I would think got to be a joke. They're going to want this. Something's happening. They're going to want this money back. I can't spend it. That would be mind-blowing to look in your bank account and see that kind of money. Well, and I'm going to go out on the limb and think his bank account wasn't empty before this thing started. No. He's not been playing for $60,000 a year. No, but... He doesn't have to work another day in his life before he signed this contract. Don, he doesn't have to work another day in his... If he does this right... His great, great, great grandchildren will never have to work a day in their life, honestly. Yeah, no. It's, I mean, it's, he, he literally, not to be stupid about this again, but he could put $100,000 into accounts right now for his great, great grandchildren that could grow for the next 100, 100 years. And by the time that they come of age, they will be wealthy just with that money that he's tucked away for them. I mean, it's it's startling how much money that you're talking about that he's making here. The sheer fact that he would actually know how many grandkids, great well, grandkids, you don't know. he's going to have that would be amazing too. It would be amazing. No, it, it, it is an amazing thing. And I, do you do you like that the NHL doesn't have this happen very often, or do you wish it had happened more often that guys would jump around? I don't think. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's anything the league do. I think it's I think it's a comfort zone for guys. Like Stamkos, uh, you know, allegedly Canadian Tire offered him like a million a year right off the bat in, in promotional rights. Yeah, on top of his contract. On top of his contract, right. So I think there's a comfort level. I mean, I think if, especially for guys, this isn't the case with Tavares, which maybe is one of the reasons he, he was okay to move. But some of the guys that have got kids in school and families and everything else, you know, the real good places to play in the NHL, lots of players retire there. Like St. Louis, I understand, is a wonderful city, and lots of guys stay. There's lots of guys that have stayed in Buffalo, which is well, that kind of. I, I mean, up. I don't want to be dip, dumping on Buffalo, but that that you're right. There's lots of guys that yeah. stay in Buffalo, and it seems so odd. I mean, I can see if you're in Tampa, I can see if you're in L.A., if you're in Anaheim. Sure, you can golf all the time, and you're well, near only, the beach. Paul Correa became Mr. California after after Anaheim. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I mean, the only way I would live in Buffalo is if I could afford to have a place in Florida or Arizona for the wintertime. Yeah, but if, you, if you've if you got a $77 million contract, presumably you could. Well, I remember Donnie Edwards after he uh, <laughs> won an Allen Cup with us in 1987, sold his place in Mississauga and went down and bought a nicer house in Buffalo for half the price. And uh, so that there's nice areas. I, I don't know if Daryl Sittler still lives there, but he was living there. Right, Lots Harry Neal. There's uh, there's some real nice parts, uh, real nice suburbs of. So anyway, the point is that a lot of guys get comfortable where they live, 
And now Buffalo, one of the attractions of Buffalo, I think, is the accommodations are far more reasonable and you're still only an hour and 45 minutes from Toronto. Don Edwards, I still say to this day, had the greatest goalie pads ever. As a goalie, back when pads, you used to have to break them in. Don Edwards pads were the most coolest broken in. They were the, I wanted Don Edwards goalie pads when I was a kid because they were the coolest pads that existed. Now, everybody's pads look exactly the same. You don't break them in. They show up ready to go. And well, then they look like a mattress. Yeah. Back then, oh, Don Edwards pads were awesome. When he was winning the Vesna Trophy with Bob Sovey and the Buffalo Sabres back in the day, man, his pads were the best ever. However... We change. Times change, and now nobody has cool goalie pads. They all just look, as you say, like mattresses or cardboard boxes. Oh, well. He's uh, the only Vezina Trophy winner uh, to ever backstop a Allen Cup team. There you go. And who was the coach of that team? Kenny Mann. And who was the manager? Me. There you go. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. In studio with Don Robertson of the... Dundas Real, I forgot to introduce you, the Dundas Real McCoys of ComChoice Realty, a variety of other endeavors in the greater Dundas area. Uh, so we were talking last segment about John Tavares making the switch, and we were mentioning at the end about how NHL players, by and large, don't do this very often. They generally stay with the team that drafted them, the team that developed them. The flip side is the case in the NBA where guys leave, it seems, whenever they choose. I don't even know. Half these guys now, it seems, have contracts that allow them to be free agents every Thursday. I'm not really sure. They can, uh, but So LeBron James, who was with Cleveland, went to Miami, back to Cleveland. Now he's in L.A. I think I haven't missed anything. The Golden State Warriors, who already had four All-Stars in their starting lineup, bringing DeMarcus Cousins, a fifth All-Star now. Um... Is this, is this good for that league to have teams that are so powerful, that are so over the top, that are so loaded, that you know that of the teams in the league, there are probably 26 teams that have zero chance of winning a championship before that season starts. Maybe 30 teams have zero, 29 teams have zero championship. Is that good for the league? It's not good for any league. I mean, there's, well, no, there's no point in... Playing a league you have no chance to win in. Well, you can argue that. If you've got the franchise that's worth half a billion dollars, you can't shut it down. But you could argue that, well, you know, having a team like the Globetrotters, everyone loves the Globetrotters, so no one complains when the Globetrotters win. So if we have a team like the Golden State Warriors that are going to pummel everyone, hey, at least they're entertaining because we know they're going to be that good. Well, we know they're going to be Washington. (laughs) Um, Yeah, LeBron's deal is he was signing one-year contracts with uh, Cleveland. So, because the salary cap always went up and he always wanted the max, <clears throat> most guys, unlike LeBron, want long-term contracts like Tavares. Security. He's, he's worth so much money. He, if he decides to quit, it doesn't matter. But he always has the option of going wherever he wants, when he wants to go. Cleveland weren't that good. Without him, they don't probably don't win a playoff game. And, and and Casey's still coach of the Toronto Raptors if he's not around. Um, so he's a, he's a, he's a different cat. I mean, he is clearly the best in the NBA, maybe the best ever. He's starting to lay that groundwork rather efficiently. So, but when you look at the size of his contract, 
$154 million for four years. It, he, he will be paid $35.6 million this year, and it will rise over four years until it hits $41 million in 21-22. But after two years, he can have an out to renegotiate that. So it probably won't be 41 by the time he renegotiates. It'll be $45 million. Which, if Tavares, if you thought, hey, I wonder what it's looked like to look in your bank account and see 45 or to see 15 million. Imagine if you look into your bank account at the end of the year and you have 45 million. I mean, it's just, it's numbers that just blow your mind. Yeah, but he'll be making, I bet he's making close to 100 million a year. At least with his endorsements. And now he's got movie studio stuff going on. And yeah, money at a certain point for these guys. I give LeBron credit for this. When you're making that much money, to actually still want to work on your craft and be great at the sport, to me, I, I give him credit for that because it would be super easy just to say, at this point, who cares? I'm going to be 42-year-old Elvis out there and have a pot belly and, let my, and have to dye my hair to try and look decent. I mean, I'm gonna, I, who cares what I look like? Somebody told me he wants to play with his son. Well, with, with Brawny? <laughs> that's, a, that's you know it's one thing to name your son after yourself a lot of people do that but then to give it a twist and call him brawny is uh, and it's not like brawny like stocky like b-r-a-w not like the wipe that the uh lady used to do for the you know the, the kitchen wipes no it's b-r-o-n-n-y brawny i don't know i i i think the nba quite frankly is screwed i think the league is has reached the point where I have I literally have almost no interest in watching it now because you know who's going to win all the best what they should do now Don uh, literally all the best players in the league the top 10 12 players whatever it is almost every top player is in the west all the power teams are in the west they should just give all the including the raptors give all the eastern conference teams a participant ribbon at the start of the year and say you're going to have your own little championship and you can call, you can play for your own little championship and have your fun because we know that there are five teams in the West that would beat anybody in the East. Uh, yes, well, it's akin to the way the American League East and baseball used to be. I mean, it and, used and to it's have getting back to that. Three of the top three teams in the American League played yep. in the East, and then teams like Kansas City would get in the playoffs and do well. You're right. The uh, just a matter of who's going to get their butt handed to them in the NBA Finals this year. Now, LeBron, see, LeBron is so good. He only needs a couple guys that aren't bad. Like, I think if Well, LeBron, that's what he's going to have in LA. Yeah. <laughs> it's the Motley crew. But I think if LeBron had to come to the Raptors, the Raptors might have given Golden State a run. Uh, Raptors got a lot of good supporting characters. Y- they don't yeah. have a stud. But yeah, no, they, they might well, have. Well, they don't have a stud that can play in the playoffs. That's their problem. Well, uh, okay, so now let me ask you another question. I'm jumping all over the place here, but because the East is now nothing, like if a Western team doesn't win the championship in the NBA this year, it's only because all of their planes got lost and took them to the Bermuda Triangle on the way to a game. Like there's just no way. So if, if something happens and Golden State gets wiped out by injuries... There are two or three, Houston is there, and if not them, then LeBron will help carry the Lakers to a certain point, or San Antonio, or whoever. There's going to be teams in the West. The West is going to win. So let's say the Raptors win the East now. Let's say the Raptors get to the NBA championship. 
The fact that they had to wait until LeBron James left the East, does that diminish the accomplishment? I think it mean, I think it renders it basically meaningless. You showed that you could not get here until the obstacle that was in your path left the path. That, to me, does not make it an accomplishment anymore. That makes it... Well, what do they do? Turn it down? No. No, no. But I, but I don't think well, it means anything. You don't think it's, yeah, you don't, you don't think it's, it's meaningful. I, I, over and over and over, you showed that you could not do that, and then you had to wait until the dragon was slain by himself, or at least left town. And then if you win, so what? If, if when, when Borg and McEnroe were playing all those epic Wimbledons, if one summer Borg said, yeah, I'm taking this one off. Now, there were some other guys. There was yeah. Connors and Gerolitis and all them. But, I mean, let's say if, it, if those were the only two guys and Borg says, I'm staying out. And so it was McEnroe versus Johnny Glickstein in the finals. Johnny was a pretty good tennis Does player. it mean anything if McEnroe wins? It doesn't. It's meaningless. Well, it, 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 it means something 10 years later when most people forgot. <laughs> Except I don't know if they're going to forget because it's such a it's such a, in, an integral part of the Raptors story that they could never win over the good team. So, Messiah Jury's happy, mostly because he has a new coach and he fired the coach of the year, and he may not have. There's a better chance he won't have to wear that dismissal with LeBron gone. Uh yeah. Yeah, unless they show up and they really wet the bed now. Yeah. I mean, they had 59 wins last year. If they drop to 40 wins, which I don't expect them to, because again, the East is, I mean, the East is like your Dundas Real McCoys. When you have your best ever Dundas Real McCoys team playing against an Adam team from the Dundas House League. And you beat them eight to one, and you go, "Wow, look at that!" I mean, first of all, if you only beat them eight to one, that would be rough. But no, but at, at a certain point, you just say, "So, what exactly did we achieve? We achieved well. We won when the challenge left the building. I don't, I don't see that as being meaningful anymore. I think that the the Raptors have now made a, a spot for themselves where they can't just win. They can't just get to the Eastern Finals. That, although that should be the, now that LeBron is out, that should be the absolute bare minimum. But they should do it by absolutely, if they want to show any kind of achievement, they got to smoke everybody on the way there. They got to do to other teams what LeBron did to them. Yeah. And, and maybe, then maybe it can be an achievement. And oddly enough, it it's happened in sports before. The Raptor guys may step up and play a bigger role now because mentally they're going, doesn't matter what I do, we can't beat LeBron. Now they might say, you know, now we've got a chance to win the East. So psychologically they may just be better because they have not been good enough in the playoffs. And if and again, I go back to my point. If that's the case, if you now become a beast because the dragon has left, if you become a hero because the guy who was, or the person or the thing that was holding you back has suddenly left rather than you defeating it, to me that shows a great deal of mental weakness that says, oh, now I can be a star. Now I can do it. That, well, that's, um, that's sad to me. That's almost I sad. I know, but we don't spend, you know, I mean, not many people spend any time talking about the fact that somebody won the Stanley Cup because your number one goaltender was out. But again, Does that make that any, any less uh, important? Uh, again, I go to the example, let's say, so Washington 
won the Stanley Cup this year. Washington has had endless failures in the playoffs. But they had to beat a legitimate team this year. But let's say that out of the West, it wasn't Las Vegas playing exceptionally well, and it wasn't any other teams. Let's say for whatever reason, the Western playoffs had just been ravaged with injuries so that there was nobody, and Washington shows up and wins over a nobody. You're right. Maybe nobody thinks of that 10 years down the road, but maybe some of them do and say, look, Ovechkin won, but yeah, who did he finally beat? Nobody. Well, is, is the Carolina Hurricanes Stanley Cup championship any less meaningful because in Game 7 they defeated the 8th seed in the West? No, because Edmonton, in the Edmonton Oilers. Because Edmonton played great those playoffs. They had great goaltending, and the, uh, people remember you. But, but, the rea- but the reality is you beat the 8th seed. Yeah, but the Los Angeles Kings won as an eighth seed. It's possible to get really hot and be a great team for those two months. I'm yeah. saying if you play a team that is a nobody and is not very good and you beat them, right? If, if the, as I say, if the, West, if the Western teams had all been racked with injuries and Las Vegas got through only because nobody else could possibly play. Yeah. All right? If, if you beat the Edmonton Oilers back in the 80s, but... Somehow, Gretzky and Curry and Messier and Anderson and Fuhr and Lowe are all out with groin injuries. Did you really beat the Edmonton Oilers? Did you really accomplish anything? Yeah, you won the Stanley Cup, but probably not. In order to achieve it, you have to beat them when they're at their best. Anyway, I just, I I look at the Raptors now and I think, I, I don't know what you do at this point to prove that you are a worthy team because... You haven't been able to do it when it mattered, and now just because the guy that held you back year after year is gone, now you're going to do it. Well, that, that's that's sad. That that that's that's you hitting a softball now off a well, team. Well, the LeBron goes to the finals every year, no matter where he plays. Well, we'll see. Let's see. We'll see because this will be the bigger task because the 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 again the East is going to be like the house league playoffs, and the West is going to be like the AAA <laughs> playoffs, and. When they get there, it, it may not be pretty. It, it, it'd be like the um, Stanley Cup champions or, or playing against the American League champions. See who's the best pro hockey team. Or the America. ECHL, yeah. yeah. We're, we're bringing the ECHL team that uh, that is interested in playing us. Oh, it's only the four. Well, it doesn't matter. We'll play them. It, it, it's whatever. I, I have I literally now, Don, because of everything that's going on, and it was already getting there, I have no interest in the NBA. I, I find the league to be these super teams. It was great when super teams were built and drafted. You know, you go back to the Los Angeles Lakers and the Boston Celtics of the 1980s. The Lakers drafted Magic Johnson. They traded for Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. There wasn't a salary cap then. They drafted Michael Scott. They drafted James Worthy. They drafted Byron Scott, uh, uh, Michael Cooper. They drafted Byron Scott. All these guys, Boston drafted Larry Bird. They traded for Bill Walton. They drafted Robert Perry. All these guys, but it was built. It wasn't just a bunch of guys. Imagine in the 80s, how different we would look at guys like Magic Johnson and Larry Bird and Michael Jordan if they'd all got together one summer and said, I got an idea. I don't want to play against you and show that I'm the best. Let's all get together and just crush everybody else. And so Larry Bird opts out of his contract and joins Magic in LA and Michael Jordan joins them. What does that teach us about any of those guys? Nothing. They want to win. But again, what's the achievement? If you get into a boxing ring and punch out a grade eight kid who's 42 pounds, what have you achieved? Is it, I mean, have you really, are you really the champion? Did you really win that? Do you go home and go, hon, guess what I did today? Oh, I would. Oh. 
<laughs> we'll leave that one there. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.